0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Luke 10, verse 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them down, sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be unto this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Vesetta, for if the mighty works done in in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows who the son is except for the father or the father is or who the father is except for the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and do not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks, Aaron, for trying to make uh, fun of me Hello, here. Grace and peace to you all from our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I see some family in the place, uh, and then I see some people that <clears throat> I've known because uh, uh, I was a pastoral intern here at Second, uh, between here and Second Presbyterian Church um, just uh, a couple years ago. My wife and I, we came to Memphis, Tennessee in 2013, um, and I am from St. Louis, Missouri, and she is from Kansas City, Missouri, uh, and I'm a happy man. And uh, uh, my beautiful wife isn't here Uh, right now, right now she was in the first service, but, uh, I just want to let y'all know that I am blessed and highly favored to have a woman that loves me so well. Amen. Hallelujah. We can go home right there. (laughs) Uh, I, it is, it is good to be with you guys. And, um, I'm so, uh, I was so reminded and I won't take much of y'all's time that, uh, Richard can go for 45 minutes, but I can't. So, uh, I'll try to keep my, my, my stuff back just a little bit. But you guys have been going through the kingdom of God. And I mean, the kingdom view on terms of justice, the kingdom view in terms of work, uh, and now we're in the kingdom view in terms of missions. <clears throat> and so when we think about the kingdom, uh, in what it means for us, there is something on the inside of us that should be always longing for the kingdom. As we think about the persecuted church, as we think about what it means, um, as Matthew 5 and 10 says, that blessed are the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of God, we should understand that as being uh, blessed are the persecuted for the righteousness sake, sorry, theirs is the kingdom of God, we should understand that persecution isn't necessarily fun, and we should not necessarily think that This is the end But yet there is something more And we should long for that And that's the beautiful thing about The Kingdom of God Because it is so mystical in one end But yet there's so much hope And so much glory and majesty That comes with it as well And so when we look at that That same view in terms of How we understand the Kingdom of God and gives us insight on how we ought to go missionally and what that means for us. So when we look at our text in Luke 10, I just want to give us a 30,000 foot view. And I don't want to go line by line all the way through 24 verses that would take us about an hour and a half, especially with a guy like me, two hours probably. But I do want to highlight the fact that what Jesus is saying is I'm sending all of Israel That's why he says the 72 Some scholars debate if it was 70 or 72 But we know from the previous chapter Chapter 9 He had already sent the 12 And so he sent the 12 out But now he is sending all of Israel. That's the symbolism in terms of tending the 72. And so seeing that, um, what we understand is that Jesus is sending them through Samaria, which it is a very dangerous place. And, the, and as they go preach the gospel, go tell about the kingdom of God, it is important for them to know that they're not alone and that God is with them. And so I come here to encourage you guys, encourage you to let you know that if God is tugging on your heart, To be involved with missions. Some of you have been on the mission field for for a stint. Some of you have never been on the mission field. Uh, I'm here this morning to encourage you. If you are involved in some kind of way, whether that be going, that be giving, uh, that be sacrificing your time by serving those that come from uh, overseas. To world uh, relief, um, even looking at Operation World, all of those things, and then also looking at it from a domestic standpoint of how we ought to be involved in terms of mission. Amen. A couple questions that I have as we, before we dive in, uh, on the way into our text is this. Do you still believe in the power of the gospel? Do you still believe in the power of the gospel or do you think it has lost its luster? Do you think it's lost its luster? Do you think that it is outdated or it doesn't pertain to culture or it's not relevant to the world and where we are today? Do you have an urgency to proclaim the gospel to your neighbors, peers, immigrants from Muslim countries and others around the world? Let me ask you this, in addition. How has your view of the kingdom of God been enhanced through your devotion to Christ? Now I ask that, those questions because many of us would shake our head and a general yes, but here it is, if you struggle with the same thing that I struggle with, I would venture to say that many of us don't long for the kingdom of God. And the reason being is because we are comfortable and complacent where we are. The more that we gain, the more that we accumulate, the more that we do, uh, there, we say to ourselves, we'd we we we'd be fine, or we'd be okay. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to say to you that that lack of urgency limits our view of the kingdom of God. And so in our evangelistic and mission efforts, what happens is we don't have a holy urgency which expresses our desire for the kingdom of God or our nearness uh, or its nearness to us but yet when we pray the lord's prayer i don't know if we truly mean that we want the kingdom of god to come because what we see in our society and what we see in our world, we should all be longing and say with absolute urgency when we say that phrase, your kingdom come with power and authority, that God, your kingdom come. Why? Because when we look at the refugee crisis... And we see people that are scattered around the world and they are being persecuted because of their ethnicity or religious sect, what happens is our prayer should be your kingdom, come. When we see the brothers and sisters that are in other countries suffering under political corruption and they are impoverished in makeshift homes, our prayer should be, Lord, your kingdom, come. And when we look at home, we see crime drug infested areas, sex trafficking plaguing our children, plaguing our communities and allowing people to sell themselves and they deteriorate every single day our prayer should be Lord your kingdom come but that prayer should not be one of a distance but it should be as near as the kingdom has been that prayer should be one that Here's the point that God is saying to us that I have called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Since I have called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light, I don't want you just to pray that your kingdom come. I want you to proclaim to the world that the kingdom has come and will be fulfilled. Because that declaration means that we provide hope to the hopeless. That declaration, what it means that we, pro- that we provide delight to the disheartened. That, that, that declaration means that we provide comfort to the fatherless. That declaration, what it means is that we as peacemakers provide peace in the midst of pain. So as we look at our text this morning, we have to ask ourselves, how are we to proclaim the kingdom of God? I think our text helps us with two points. And I don't want you to be fooled. I I don't make three points. I make two points to make you think that it won't be long, but I just have a ton of sub points. First of all, in verses 1 through 12, we just simply, we need to live missionally. We need to live missionally. We must live missionally. Verses 13 through 24, we must endure resistance. We must endure resistance. When we look at our first point, we must live missionally in verses 1 through 12. We have to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean? Simply living missionally, we ought to go. There's no other way to say it, and we see it from the text. But there are a couple ways that I think that the text tells us how we ought to go. We ought to go prayerfully. We ought to go confidently. We ought to go peacefully. When we look at verses 1 through 2, you see, we go prayerfully. So how do we go prayerfully? Understanding that whatever work that we do in terms of missions... Domestic or international should be bathed in prayer. It should not be of our own volition or our own self-will, but yet we should go before the Lord and lay down our prayers. And this is what he says. He says that uh, to those that are, he sent out that you must pray earnestly. And he just doesn't send out anyone. Look at those that are, that he's sending out. I mean, he just doesn't send out ministry workers, those that went to seminary, those that are missionaries, those that are um, that are pastors. But he sends out businessmen, he sends out teachers, he sends out farmers, he sends out the the fishermen, he sends out uh, the baker, the the candlestick maker, and all of the rest of them. I, I think about um, a sister that y'all just sent from here, Laura Neal, and you think about. Also, Nick and Amanda These are individuals And another girl, she lives in Argentina She was sent out a couple years ago And these young people As they go They go prayerfully Understanding what God has called them to But they know that in where they are, Laura Neal being in Mofrock Jordan with Aileen Coleman, are she's serving Bedouin women as a teacher. She is using her skills that she's learned here to serve in that particular area. Julia, the same thing, was a teacher here and she left uh, the United States and went to Buenos Aires to serve in Baja Flores to uh, be with those that are in the shanty towns. And to teach them English and... Using her skills there was in a way that would benefit that particular community. We know that it's not necessarily that we have to be equipped with a MDiv or that we have to have a particular quote-unquote calling, but God has called us all to be missionaries. And so yes, we need to go prayerfully. And so when he says that that the harvest is plentiful in verse 2, but the laborers are few, the issue is not that the harvest, that there's not enough people in the harvest. The issue is not that the harvest isn't plentiful. The issue is that there aren't enough workers. And so when you think about when Jesus tells them to pray earnestly, he's saying, plead to who? Plead to me, the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest, and that's to understand that, that urgency that we ought to have for the kingdom of God, that urgency that we ought to have in seeking Him, is to say, Lord, please, if it is me, send me. Here I am. Lord, if it is someone else, please send them. Lord, if I can give, please allow me to find individuals that I can give to. Help me to go to my elders or my pastors in my church and find out areas in Memphis and where I can give my time and that it can be fruitful to others. Pray about that, pray about that. Why? Because when you pray, you understand God is demonstrating his sovereignty, and God is illustrating that right here in this passage when he says that he is the Lord of the harvest, he's not over the Lord he's not only the Lord of the harvest, but he's the Lord over the laborers. It reminds me of Jeremiah 29 and seven when he is not just the uh, Lord over the captive, but he is God over the captor. It is important for us to understand his grandness in terms of his sovereignty because then our prayers become action and our prayers are not simply from a distance. So we believe that God is the Lord of the harvest and the laborers and so as we go, he will protect us. And so understanding that he will protect us, we can go with confidence. That's part B. We can go with confidence. Look at 3 through 4. Where do we go with confidence? Now, I don't want us to confuse confidence with force. I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying here. We ought to go as meek individuals. If we would understand what Jesus did on our behalf through the person and the work of our Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He came in the incarnate flesh. And understanding that He came in the incarnate flesh, He did not have to lay himself in a manger. He did not have to live homeless as he would be described. He didn't have to befriend those that were extortioners, those that were sinners, those that were sick and ill, but he did. He said, I came for those that are in need of a Savior. So the incarnational work of Jesus Christ is a missional act in itself to us, to his people. And we ought to replicate that. And in replicating that, we go confidently knowing that in any area that we go to, for instance, where they're going, that they're uh, Jesus has already gone through Samaria, and that's what they, they're kind of walking through those different countries. It is dangerous. So you think of a, what meekness means, it, meekness doesn't mean to fight back. Me- meekness doesn't necessarily mean that you put up your fist and you force someone what meekness means it, it goes back to the Samaritan story that you ought to go to the one that is in need the one that has been broken and beat down you ought to be broken and beat down for the sake of the gospel we aren't supposed to feel comfortable in this society and in our own skin the reason, we- the reason being is because we have a, bi- a bigger hope We go confidently. Look at verse 3. It is important to note that these disciples, they didn't go confidently on their own self-will. What does Jesus say? I am sending you out as lambs. They just don't walk out in danger. He said, now, I'm sending you out as lambs. So to know the Lord, so as for them to know that the Lord is the good shepherd. And as he sends them out as lambs, He's a good shepherd that protects them amidst the wolves. As he protects them amidst the wolves, you have to think about it for a minute. It kind of shows you John 10, a little bit. In terms of him being a good shepherd, he will protect his flock. But the wolves are thieves. Satan is a thief. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to prevent us from trying to share our uh, the, the very God that we know. Why? By distracting us with all of the luster, with all of the beauty that is around us. We we don't want to leave America. We don't want to leave our neighborhoods. We don't want to we don't want to be involved in certain aspects of things because we don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm there too, brothers and sisters. It's tough, it's hard, but we're called. Have confidence that He will protect you. Because what is it? Our confidence demonstrates our trust in His providence. That God will make provisions. Think about what Jesus tells them. Leave your money bag. Leave your knapsacks. Leave your sandals. He's already kind of extrapolated this in 9 through 1, 9, 1 through 3. And as they leave their money bags as travelers, what that indicated was that they had supplies in there. That they had a level of independence. That they were going out um, and not necessarily needing help from anyone else. But... As this may have been essential for missionaries, Jesus wants them to understand that as the Lord of the harvest, as God who is sovereign and able to provide, what He is telling them is this, that I want you to depend on me. I I, I don't want you to take or use the things that... You can make and create on your own, but yet I want to provide a way for you. So there will be those when you walk in particular places, you will need a meal. You will need a place to stay. I will provide that on a journey. You you will go through tough things and you will face rejection, but I will be with you on that journey. So to have confidence in him amidst a trouble is, is often hard. But but here's the thing. God doesn't set us up for failure. Because He's a God that is consistent with His promises. He's a God that's consistent with His provisions. I, I remember an old, uh, old mother in the church. I grew up in. Uh, uh, I didn't grow up in the church when I became a believer. I was in a church, and you know, when you're in a black church, they call a mothers, and the mother would say, "He is a way maker." To testify to his provisions, to testify to his sovereignty, she would say he was water in a thirsty land. Uh, he, he is the living water that can quench the thirst of the thirsty and then she would also go on to say and it is highly theological and highly biblical that, that he was bread in the desert. He is the bread of life, being able to lay Himself down to, so that we may feast on Him. And we, as we look at the communion, ta- communion table, that is what it is for, for us to be empowered by His work. The finished work of Christ. And so we know that we can go confidently. We know that we can go prayerfully. We know we also can go peacefully. Why do we go peacefully? Because we are ambassadors of Christ. This is nothing new, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I'm not saying I don't think the Texas is is uh, blowing our minds away with this, but it is instructing us in a way and encouraging us the way that oftentimes it can, our fears can apprehend us. But He is saying, "You're my ambassadors. I want you to go peacefully. In fact, wherever house you enter into, say this first: Peace be to this house." The disciples were to pronounce peace, blessings upon the house of the individuals that they entered. This peace, this word peace was the same Old Testament word, Hebrew word for shalom. Human flourishing, delight, wholeness. It wasn't just a peace of serenity, a peace that you can get away and relax, rub your feet in the sand. This was a peace that actually meant that it was, it would, uh, it would thrive in the midst of pain. This is what the kind of peace that he wants us to have and this is what the kingdom of God what must be proclaimed with in the mindset that we don't go trying to create our own peace or trying to be the Messiah in these situations but we go demonstrating that we know the God of peace the one that is the Prince of Peace now I've let y'all go for about 15 minutes without saying one, two, three, or 4 amens is there anybody in the house? thank you Jesus hallelujah God is good so he know so we know that we go peacefully and then this is this is the other thing that jesus says that he uh will provide also because laborers deserve uh his, the laborers deserve his wages and this is through host uh that they would live with and they would be fed and provide lodging uh and their needs would be helped uh, throughout this process you know, this text kind of reminds me when I kind of entered into the Presbyterian world. It, it was it was funny because I remember being in seminary and then going to particular places. When you would go somewhere, typically you want to stay in a hotel, right? You, you could, I, I, well, I did for that. I, you know, you want to be, you want to have your own little environment. Well, we always stayed with families, and people would open their homes. And I just said to myself, you know, I I just don't come from that background. We really didn't open our homes. In fact, my mother barely let me bring my friends into the house. I had to sneak them into the house. I talked to them through the screen door if if they, since they couldn't come in. And so my, this kind of messed up how I understood hospitality. I didn't have a good theological understanding of hospitality. And so when I would go to house families, uh, to the house families homes, they would tell stories about hosting missionaries. And being able to, uh, let them use their, their house for the entire time, maybe six months. I was saying to myself, whoa, you would let somebody stay with you for six months? That's incredible. But brothers and sisters, we're the family of God. When Nick and Amanda comes back and they're on, uh, furlough, open your homes to them. When you have missionaries like the Ingers, they come back. Lord Neil, she comes back. Open your homes to them because we are the family of God. But also when you go, know that your brothers and sisters in the other land will open your, open their homes to you. And so that's the beautiful aspect in terms of God providing for, for us the wages that He provides for us. He makes provisions. They won't look like we would think that they would look, but not everyone will open their home. That's what Jesus says you will be rejected but he didn't say use it by force remember he doesn't say go and kick the door or kick uh, or make them mad but what he says is go into the street and say the kingdom of God is near there is an urgency because if they yell into the street that the kingdom of God is near what they are extre- uh, what they're letting them know is that this is very important for our society for the world to know that this God who is the god of all of creation should be known. I, I think about a rooftop experience is what I call it when uh, I led a couple of young adults to Argentina um, this past summer, and I've been doing it for the past couple of years, and it's been fun, a fun experience, though I find that I'm one of five black individuals in Argentina. Buenos Aires, in particular. It's not, it's not, but it's fun, right? And so as, I, as we were working hard and we were in the area of Fatima, we seen the shanty towns, we seen the poverty, but we also see Palermo, which is more of a, a highfalutin area where you can remind you of a downtown church, so to speak. But one day we were all tired. Beds, they hurt. We were sleeping in the church. And we were kind of reflecting and debriefing. And as we sat on the top of the roof, what was happening there is all of us were looking out. I said, look out through the smog. And you would see kids walking with no shoes. You would see mothers holding kids and having ragged clothes. You would see uh, men sleeping on pallets that are in the middle of the street. You would see dilapidated buildings. And uh, you would also see people that look like as if they hadn't had a meal in quite some time. You would see dogs just running down the street. And mind you, when I'm in St. Louis, I've run from every dog. But these dogs, they, uh, they don't bother me. But what we we're going through and understanding is that it is overwhelming when you look at all of that it, it, it is it is tough to see so much poverty it is tough to see so much pain that when you're only there for a week what you say to yourself what can I do but that's why we trust in the Lord of the harvest because it's not about what we do it's about what he is doing and how he is using every willing vessel to bring glory to His name. Amen. So we ought to live missionally. Why? Because we trust in our God. But we also understand that if we live missionally, we have to endure resistance. The gospel is completely countercultural. Our society will not receive this. Look at thirteen through twenty-four. Jesus says, "Woe to you, Corazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida!" For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But since they rejected the kingdom of God, these woes, what they mean is judgment upon you. It would almost be the same as Jesus saying, woe to you. East Memphis Woe to you South Memphis Woe to you North Memphis Woe to you West Memphis Woe to you Downtown Memphis If you reject me Then you reject If you reject My missionaries You reject the Father, if we would go to Syria, we would go to Jordan, if we would go to East China, we would go to uh, Kazakhstan, and those areas If they were to reject us, it would be the same to woe to them. See, the aspect in which we see is that it's not our job to bring judgment. God takes care of that. But we look for those that should repent. And so as we are pushed back on, as we are resisted, we are denied, we understand that our satisfaction is not in the fact that the work or individuals have not necessarily come to Christ. We cry. We, we are desperate for people to know and love Him. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Our satisfaction is in our assurance of who we know. And that is God the Father. But how do we endure, endure this resistance? It is simply by that. Knowing that He is with us. Assured by His presence. 13 through 20. Know that God is with you guys. If you know that God is with you, then you will be able to endure. It was uh, Martin Luther who had that, that, that hymn that I like, the mighty fortress is our God. And when you know that you are going through trying times, when you know that you are in situations where you are enduring resistance, you have to know that as he used the language, we have the right man of God's choosing on our side, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when we see that, we can say to ourselves that as we endure Resistance, the assurance that we have and who we know is very much important. I think about when I was a teenager. I had came to Christ when I was about 14 or so. And so I was 17 and we lived on the street. And right across the street from me, guys were selling drugs, right? But they were my neighbors. And so like a good neighbor, I would go across the street. I knew these guys, they were a little older than me, they had dropped out of high school, we went to the same high school. And as they were selling drugs, a lot of times, I just, I was so zealous, I just didn't care. So I would share the gospel. They would shove me aside because I was younger and then I was talking reckless to them. And they would ignore me, they would reject me every time. But I would kind of come back, right, with the same pitch, trying to let them know that that y'all need to know who Jesus is. Y'all need to stop doing this. You're dying from the stuff that you're selling. You're, you're killing this community. We, 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 we got to get it together, brothers. Now I don't know if those brothers ever came to know the Lord, but as a young man, what was what I recognized is that the Lord was giving me a fervor. The Lord was allowing me to see that. It's important to let my brothers, no matter the circumstance, and sisters know who Jesus is because He is important. But the other thing is is that I can endure it, not necessarily because it's my own will, but it is what Paul says to Timothy, that you ought to fight the good fight of faith, and that as you endure, you will reign with me. That's the assurance that I have. It wasn't being accepted by them. It wasn't being the most the, the most friendly. We won't be accepted wherever we go. We will be resisted. When you think about where we are in our society, the political climate, and if you were asked the question today, are American Christians really persecuted? Do we really suffer things in this society? When you look at the state and federal levels and the rise in which things are going, the church is being persecuted in a way that we're slowly accepting it. But one day we will have to, it's not one day, we need to stand there. Stand now, letting people know that God's church is a church that is built on His rock. That is built on His name. And that it will not be moved by anyone and no man. And so we endure resistance by His assurance. But we also endure resistance by rejoicing in the Lord. Verses 17-24. through Here it is. They were not necessarily discouraged. They came to 72. They came back and they were excited. Look at 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw f- Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in the signs and the wonders. Do not rejoice in the miracles. But what you ought to rejoice in, look at what he says. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because it's important to know that Satan has already been defeated. That's what he wants to illustrate Satan's downfall. And that what we rejoice in is not the power and authority that he has given us, but we rejoice in the fact that we know him. Because like our culture today, we can also be distracted by so much of the authority and works and miracles that we don't realize or we're no longer happy and satisfied with the fact that one day we will be with Christ for eternity. So they ought to rejoice in that because Jesus sends them eventually the message at the end of Matthew 28. Because they only had a, they only seen a glimpse, only a portion, but Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, all authority is in, in heaven and in, on earth has been given to me. So what does he say? Go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And listen to this. Listen to the end of the passage. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It is This idea of understanding and rejoicing in the Lord that we become encouraged by. Because I think about, I always use my son as an illustration. Maybe when he gets older, we have a two-year-old son, he'll get tired of me using him as an illustration. But he doesn't know any good right now. He did not listen to this. But he loves the water. And the water is vast. He loves the pool. And the pool is big. Even though it's three feet, he can't stand in it. So we got a Bass Pro Life jacket for him. He has these little goggles on and he has uh, his little swim trunks and, and he's ready to go until he sees the water. Mom and daddy are in the water and as I hold his hand and he takes every step into the water, what happens is I try to hold him tightly and not too, not too tightly but gently so that he can know that I'm with him. And that as he knows that I'm with him every step that he takes, he's a little bit more hesitant because the water rises a little bit more to his chest. And as he rises to his chest, what happens is he begins to clamp on to me. Both of his legs, he wrap onto me, and as I try to pry him off of me, what I do is I hold him right on the side of me. And his mother is saying, Baby, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. And then he begins to enjoy the water just a little bit. He moves his arms. He kicks his legs. And as he begins to try to swim, I think he thinks he's doing it on his own. But what he doesn't realize is that daddy is right there. See, my arm right around him, he is doing a lot of work, but I'm doing the heavy lifting. My assurance of my presence, my assurance of my hand. See, it is reminding me of the hymn when the, when the when the hymn writer says, "Hold on, not to anybody's hand, but God's unchanging hand, because it doesn't change. He is always faithful." And so, when the hymn writer says, "Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to Thy bleeding side," draw me nearer. Nearer, blessed Lord, to Thy cross where Thou hast died. Now consecrate me. Now to Thy service. Lord, by Thy power divine, let my soul look up with a steadfast hope. And this hope is what we have in the kingdom of God. And my will be lost in Thine. It is important for us to know. That our lives are not to be completely comfortable and satisfied here. It was two people, Dr. Martin Luther King and a lady named Aileen Coleman. I've seen Aileen Coleman probably twice, and she said these words. She serves in Moffat, Jordan, where Lord Neil is. She said, "I hope to serve in Jordan for the rest of my life." She's 85. And I hope to die there. What assurance that she had. It was Dr. King, before he came to Memphis, he had a buddy, Larry Larry Belafonte. As they were sitting, Harry Belafonte said to Dr. King, do you ever fear for your own life? Dr. King, who, before he came here for the sanitation march, he says that, I don't fear for my life. I'm not concerned about my own humanity. What he said was what was interesting to me he says ultimately I don't care about my longevity but ultimately what I care about is the will of God. Both of those individuals were missionaries to me. One here is a civil rights leader and another serving amongst better women. And what they understood was that God's will was the most important thing. And that as they proclaimed the kingdom of God They did it vigorously. Aileen is doing it with so much passion. Let us do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are God who provides for us. You are God that shows your strength. You're God who assures us of your presence. And Lord, we thank you so much because there is none like you and so, as we think about what it means to serve in your kingdom, help us to be missional, helping us to go, help us to endure resistance. And God, as we prepare our hearts and minds for offering, let us give, knowing that we're giving to your kingdom, for the kingdom advancement. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.